Morning. Uh, just a heads up, um, it's going to get loud. <laughs> Again? <laughs> Wreck it, Ralph. Um, we, last week we talked about Paul. He's, he's in prison. And we, we kind of know what's going on with Paul. We, I mean, we started this series, the second half of Acts. It's kind of when Paul started really taking off and running. And, and we've talked about the fact that the, we, we know this book, it's called, it's kind of a combination Luke-Acts. And we call it the Acts of the Apostles or the Book of Acts. But it's actually not Paul who is the focus or not the apostles that are, that are the focus. It's the continuing work of Jesus through the action of the Holy Spirit that started this whole Christian movement. That's what this book is about. And sometimes we get caught up in, in Paul and all that he does and all that he goes through. And we should because it's recorded. That's good. But a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Doug in the first service, um, he said some nice things about me, which is really, really kind of cool. But he reminded everyone that just as the pastor is not in the spotlight, I mean, literally there's a spotlight, but um, it, it, we're not to focus on what the preacher says or who the preacher is, but what the living word of God is. That's one of the reasons we ask people to come up like Annalise just did and pray for God's message for us, not the preacher's message for you. Uh, Paul is not the focus of the book of Acts, nor are the other disciples and apostles, nor are the churches that were planted. The focus of the book of Acts is the ongoing work of Jesus through the action of the Holy Spirit. There's amazing things going on, but one thing we can say for sure about Paul is that Paul is obsessed with Jesus. He goes so far as to say to die or to live is Christ. He doesn't say to live is to glorify Christ. He says to live is Christ. So his definition of life is Christ. To die is gain. He gets the reward that Jesus, it was due Jesus that Jesus then gives to all of us. So Paul, Paul's obsessed. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He went around the known world three times doing nothing but proclaiming the word of God. He went and he, he developed leaders and then he uh, trained them up to saturate the world with the gospel of Christ. I mean, Paul says in 2 Timothy verse 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, he says to Timothy, Timothy, take these things you've learned from me and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. So you have four spiritual generations there, Paul to Timothy, Paul, Paul to Timothy, to reliable people, to others. Um, that is the goal, the mission, the call, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world then. And it's no different in the world today. Now, last week we heard about Paul had been tried by Felix, the governor of, the, of, that, of that area. And uh, the Jews were, were, they had beat him. He got kind of rescued. He, 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 went to, he was in jail and then uh, he was tried again. Couldn't find anything wrong with him. But Felix, as a, as a favor to the Jews, he kept him in jail for two years. And we find out that he frequently, we don't know if it was weekly, if it was monthly, but over the course of two years, there were several times when Felix called Paul in to hang out. Now, I don't know if they ever just, um, you know, they were just shucking the jive or, or, or shooting at the breeze. I don't know if they ever just said, hey, you know, you ever get, your feet ever get sore when you're walking all over the place? Well, not anymore. I'm sitting in prison. I don't know. I think that though that Paul was so obsessed that he, that, that he always was talking about Jesus. 
And the resurrection, Paul goes so far as to say, if the resurrection didn't happen, everything we do is foolishness. It, it, it is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, we're, we're ridiculous people to believe in something that, that extraordinary that if it didn't happen. Now, that obsession that Felix had with Paul transfers over to Festus. Felix is the governor in that region for two more years, and then he gets replaced or he retired. I don't know, but it re that's where we come to our story. And I just want you to watch what you hear about Paul, what you hear about the Jews, what you hear about this governor, and then what you hear about King Agrippa, because there's one word that plays in with all of it. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up, to, uh, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus, they urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to, for, to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held in Caesarea. I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he's done anything wrong. Now, I just want you to see something. You probably already noticed it, but Festus is given this governorship of this province, this region. Caesarea, Jerusalem, and that kind of area. Now, if you were a new governor sworn in in Lansing... Um, and you haven't got your staff together, you, you don't have the furniture picked out for the governor's mansion, I'm guessing that the first thing you don't, the, the, the first thing on your priority list is not to head up to Alpena to meet with some religious rulers about a guy they have an issue with. That's what he did. He, he, three days after coming to Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem. Now, fair, fair enough. The, the majority of the people in that region are Jews. And those governors, those uh, Roman governors that, that, that are appointed, they, they have to keep peace. And one of the things that a good leader will do to people that are, subje that, that are, subject to, that are subjects of his is to find their leaders and make nice. So three days after he comes to Caesarea, he heads up to Jerusalem. The first thing they do is say, we want Paul here and they want to kill him. Now, they don't tell him they want to kill him. They just, they have this little plot. Now, think about this for a minute. The Jews are obsessed with Paul. Two years he's been in prison. Two years he's not been out there uh, troublemaking or causing riots or desecrating the temple or blaspheming God in their mind. Two years he's done nothing but write a few letters. Two years. I don't know about you, but do you remember what the big issue was in our culture? We know what it is today. We know the big news is what happened yesterday in El Paso and what happened at 1 o'clock this morning in Dayton. That's what everyone's going to be talking about for the next 24 to 48 hours. And it'll turn political. But do you remember two years ago today what we were all upset about? Everyone was yelling about? I don't know either. I know you're thinking he's going to tell us. Why don't we remember? Because right now it doesn't matter. Why are the Jews still obsessed with Paul that two years he's been in prison? Two years, they've had nothing to do with him. And maybe, maybe they're treating um, Felix, who kept him in jail but didn't let him go get killed. Um, maybe they're treating him like some churches treat pastors that have been around too long. I'll just wait him out. I was here long before he got here. I'll be around long, before, long after he's gone. That happens. It happens in government and politics. Maybe, maybe they, just, they just got quiet. 
I don't know, but maybe it's these guys that made that vow that they're going to make sure that Paul dies before, they're, or before they eat or drink. Now, if, if they didn't break their vow, they've been dead long ago. You might make it two years if you have a lot of stored calories um, without food, but you're not going to make it that long without water. There's just no way. So I don't know why they're, but they're obsessed. I hope, and I think that their best, if, if I give them, put the best motive possible on them, they believe wholeheartedly that the problem of Paul is that he's preaching the resurrection through Jesus Christ. He's preaching that Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, thereby him becoming the Messiah, him being the Messiah, him being the one they waited on. They believe that he's wrong, and so he's leading their people to hell. They believe that he's a blasphemer, and they it's their job, it's their role, it's their goal to protect the dignity, the reign, and the name of God from desecration. Now, if that is their goal, if that is their motive, then kudos to them for sticking it out. But they are obsessed with Paul and Paul is obsessed with Christ. So right away they petitioned the governor and then it says he spent eight to 10 days there. Now, how do you, how do you think that went? You, you know what a lobbyist is, right? I mean, every time there's a national election comes up, oh, I'm not gonna be beholden to special interest in the lobbyist and blah, 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 blah. We hear that all the time. What's a special interest? People that want their, to get their thing, their legislation passed so that they benefit. You know that they're looking for weakness. You know that they're, they're meeting with Festus. And they're trying to figure out what's the thing that's going to make Festus mad enough that he'll turn this guy over so we can kill him. It goes like this. After spending eight to 10 days with them, he went down to Caesarea and the next day he convened the court. So right away, first official act in Caesarea as the governor is to bring Paul in for a hearing. And he ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have, done, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus was conferred, or had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar, you will go. Now, I'm sure you figured this out by now, but every Roman citizen has a right, if they don't think they're getting justice before they get their punishment or, you know, to be instead of being handed over to someone else, they have the right to appeal to Caesar. Now, it's very unwise to do that uh, unless there's some serious big deal. But Paul had been told by Jesus in Acts 9 that he will preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he will preach to leaders, and he will preach to kings. Okay, so Paul is willing to suffer further imprisonment in order, God promised him that he would preach in Rome. So in order to get to Rome, he's willing to appeal to the emperor. Now, we can appeal to the highest court in our land, right? The, the Supreme Court. If you, win your, if you lose your case, you appeal to a court. If they, it depends on how many agreements there are with the higher courts, whether it can go to the Supreme Court. But you have the right to keep going. And the, the Supreme Court, though, has the right to not hear your case. Caesar has the right to not hear your case. But Paul knows 
that the Jews are going to kill him. He's not afraid to die. But he also looks for every opportunity, as he always has, to speak truth to people. Think about this. This is eight to ten years before the destruction of Jerusalem, before it is absolutely beat up, torn down, and lit into flames. Paul, for about 30 years, has been wandering around the known world doing one thing. Preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Preaching to people that the God of the universe came to be one of you and became sin for you so you don't have to pay the consequences of that. Paul preaches one thing, Christ and him crucified and then him resurrected. That is what Paul is all about. Paul has gone from one city to the next, one city to the next, one city to the next. Government rulers, craftsmen, silversmiths, uh, uh, farmers, it doesn't matter. Paul did one thing. He preached and he converted people. And all around the known world, new people are coming to know Christ. New, heart, new hearts are being transformed. New, new, more evangelism is taking place. Paul, while in prison, is so concerned that the church stay faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ that he writes letters to them. And when he hears about great things going on in Philippi, he just oozes his love for them and, 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 and pens this letter and just, just, oh, how I thank my God every time I think of you. But then Galatia, the church in Galatia, they're, they're going back to being like Jews. And, and he says some awful things, actually. I, I won't, he, when they're trying to get him to be circumcised to, in order to be Christian, he says, those circumcisers, those Ju Judea, just have them not stop at circumcision, have them go all the way. He talks about castration. He's that angry. He never thanks God for the church in Galatia because they had gone so far the wrong way. He is so passionate that even while in prison, think about it. If you were in prison for two years for something you didn't do, and you, you're praying to God at first, like, okay, God, you know, I know you got a purpose. You got a purpose. You got a purpose. You're going you're gonna to get me out of here. You're going to get me out. I'm going to have an opportunity. But after two years, don't you think you kind of go, I'm done. I'm done. Yes, yes, I know that you, you allowed what you could have prevented, but I, you know what? I've had enough. I've been beat up too many times. I've been in prison too, for too long. I've got, I've got dysentery or whatever else you, you get from being in a nasty prison cell. Yeah, your friends can come and visit you, but come on, Lord, this is long enough. Now, Paul never gives up, never quits. Even when he's there, he's sending letters with his friends to the churches to try to make sure that they're being faithful. Paul is obsessed with Jesus He's obsessed with the resurrection. He is obsessed with everything. And so are the Jews, which we don't necessarily see until the next little bit here. They finally figure out that the thing that they have to get Paul on is one thing. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Watch this. This is fast. Uh, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Now, King Agrippa, he holds the vestments for the priesthood. He's not a faithful guy. In fact, King Agrippa and Bernice, not essential information, but you should know that it's his, Bernice is his sister. But even back then, there were writings and mumblings that have lasted in the historical record that he and his sister were more like husband and wife. Yeah. Not an, admirable, not an honorable and admirable guy, but he, he's over Festus. He comes to pay his respects. And since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. Now think about this. Your new governor, your king comes to pay your respects. And what do you bring up? Paul. 
That religious leader up in Alpena that no one's really thought about for a couple of years, that's what he decides to bring up to him, I guess because he appealed to Caesar. And it goes like this. He says, there's a man here whom Felix left a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews uh, brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not a Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes that I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him over their own religion about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss at how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial there on these charges. And when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him. The Jews are obsessed. They spent two years when he's doing no real harm except writing some letters, plotting and planning and scheming to try to figure out how they can get him coming back toward Jerusalem so they can kill him, not, not to bring him to trial, so they can murder him. Same thing they did with Jesus. What did Jesus do wrong? Let me see, heal people. Ooh. He spoke truth. Can't have that. Calm the sea. Uh-uh. Nope. And he cleared the temple. The Jews are obsessed with Paul, who's obsessed with Jesus. The governor, both of them, Felix and Festus, are obsessed with Paul, who's obsessed with Jesus. King Agrippa is now going to be obsessed with Paul who's obsessed with Jesus. And even Rome, think about it, around the known world, what is the one thing that everybody's after? Who, who are, who's being persecuted? Christians. What are they trying to shut down? This new Christian movement. What is this book all about? The fact that God cannot be stopped, period. God wins in the end. Phenomenal thing going on here. The obsession with one man, Jesus, who... He died, and he didn't stay dead. One man is, 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 is obsessed with him. Other men are obsessed with him. Governments are obsessed with him. Provinces are obsessed with him. And even Caesar will be obsessed with him. Why do you think they destroyed Jerusalem? No different than today. And I know you're going to disagree with me, and that's fine, but I want you to hear me out for a second. Our world is obsessed with Jesus. Even the new atheists the God delusion and those guys, they're obsessed with God. I don't believe that there is a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, but I don't go around writing books about it and lecturing on it. I don't believe in unicorns. No offense to anyone who does, but I'm not so obsessed with the fact that I don't believe in unicorns that I am out there condemning anyone who does. Even those who hate God are obsessed with God. Even those who hate Jesus are obsessed with Jesus. They're angry that they are accountable to, them, to, to someone beyond themselves. Our world is obsessed with, we got to get God out of here. We got to, he can't be in the school. He can't be in the government. He can't be here. You can't pray anywhere. No, get him out. That's an obsession. Or the only hope for humanity is Jesus. That's an obsession. 
Paul believed that no hope for humanity other than in Christ Jesus through his resurrection, forgiveness of sins, transformation of the mind, renewing of the life, Everything changes because of Jesus. And the only hope for the world is Jesus. That's why God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but be, but have everlasting life. He has not come to condemn the world, but to save it. He came for the sick. He came for the hurting. It is the only hope we have, but our world is obsessed. I'm not getting political. I'm talking about the civil war that's going on with ideas. It used to be that John and I could have a conversation. And if we disagreed politically or socioeconomically or any other way, he, he and I, if we're friends, we can have a discussion and he can, he'll say, well, yeah, I'm going to try to convince you. And, and he believes he's right. And he thinks I'm wrong, but he doesn't think I'm evil, but that has changed. Now you can't leave friends. My mom has a person in her condo development that she had dinner with soon after the election and they thought she voted a certain way. Not true. They accused her of voting a certain way. They haven't talked since over a political election. And what does it boil down to? We believe that there's a utopia of humanity that if we get God out of it because all evil comes from religion then we'll, we will have arrived. People are innately sinful and the only hope for humanity is transformation of the heart and looking out for the good of our fellow man. These people think those people are evil and honestly, sometimes we behave like they are too. The Jewish people acted in evil manner toward Paul and toward the church. Paul had been one who used to do just that. What's Paul's response? Condemnation? Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Is his response, he's going to kill him in return? No, he preaches the resurrection. Paul is obsessed with Jesus and the known world then was obsessed with Jesus and the world today is obsessed with Jesus. Some obsessed with making sure he doesn't exist and others obsessed with making sure that everybody knows about it. I wish that I had the kind of passion sold outness obsession with Jesus that Paul has. I, when I was watching some of the new stuff yesterday, um, you know, it used to be that you couldn't get 30 or 40 seconds into a tragic event like that. And someone's saying, you know, our thoughts and our prayers. It used to be our prayers. Then it was our thoughts and prayers. And now it's just our thoughts. And now people are saying, enough with your prayers. Enough with the prayer. That doesn't do any good. We need legislation. We need this. We need it. It's anger, 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 anger. And it's evil, 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 evil. Back and forth and back and forth. Well, I got to hate the people who are against me. One guy yesterday talked about the clergy needs to rise up and encourage our, our law enforcement officers. Okay, he's, he, that's, that's, no one can really argue with that one. But we're afraid now to call on God. We're not obsessed. I'm not. It's much easier to hate those who hate me than to love those who hate me. It is much easier to want God to smite someone who might imprison me. And I've never been imprisoned. I've never been beaten for my faith. But could I turn the other cheek? 
What about someone who wants to kill me? Well, that has happened once. I never met him, but he wants to kill me. Nothing I can do about that. So are you obsessed with the love of God for God's enemies? Because Paul was, Jesus was. That means God is. God loves the people who hate you as much as he loves you. Do you love the people who hate God as much as you love the people who do? Because even in Galatia, when Paul is yelling at him and, he's, and he lists off the works of the flesh, he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When he talks about love and to the Corinthians, he says love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always trusts, always hopes, always protects. Love never fails. It's God's kindness that leads someone to repentance. It's the love that God has for people who hate him that actually turns and transforms hearts. So are you obsessed enough to communicate God's love to someone who wants harm to come to you? Someone who disagrees with you politically, someone who, who, who has a different view of how the world should work. Can you love them in the name of Christ? Back in 2008, 9, 10, the whole world fell apart with the financial crisis and the, the stock market went from about 17,000 to under eight. And then, yeah, it's, we're, we're loving this now, 26, 27. Okay, we're loving that. But there, look, it's cyclical. Something will happen. What I loved when everyone was losing their houses, I didn't love anyone losing their house, but when people were losing their houses and people were in debt and they were having to go bankrupt and, and all the foreclosures, what I loved is when I heard of a church that was generous when they should be holding on to their stuff and protecting themselves so they don't have to let go of staff, people that, are go, people that go, you know what? It's a great chance for the church to shine. It's a great chance for the church to be generous when everyone else is being stingy. It's a great chance for the church to love when there's so much hate toward us. A great chance to show mercy, giving, not giving people what they deserve when they deserve something else. It's a great time to communicate the love and the grace of God, giving them what they don't deserve, God's love, when they're hating toward us. This world is obsessed with Jesus, just like the ancient Rome was, the most powerful nation in the world up until that point. And we're in one now, up until this point. Are we obsessed? Are we fanatical? Are we willing to do the radical thing and return evil with kindness to pray for those who persecute? I'm going to pray in a moment that God start a revival. You can't say that about first century because it was just a revival, Right? It was the first time. But can God bring life back? And I'm not talking about for our country or so that we win. I'm talking about there's only hope for humanity is that God first loved us. Not that we loved ourselves well, not that we did anything right. Every single time we get rid of God, history, check me on this. 
You look for countries that got rid of God, governments that got rid of God. They're going to have this new utopia. Millions and millions of people are murdered in the name of no God. Now, everyone says, well, it's religion that did it. Religion, religion, religion. You can, it's never good that anyone would die for religion. But you look at the numbers between godlessness and murder and religion and murder and war. You will be astonished. The only hope for humanity in the scripture's opinion, not mine, is Christ. Because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So I'm going to pray for revival. And I'm going to pray that we have the courage to go to our enemies and love them, serve them, bless them. We're going to start with 49464. We're going to end up all around the world. And if he starts in El Paso or he starts in Dayton and we end up being in some other way, fine. But we're going to, I'm going to ask God and I ask you to join me. Let's pray together. Lord, we are not obsessed. That's not fair. I am not as obsessed as Paul was. But you are. You have an obsession for the people that hate you. You want them to be, to know that you love them. You want them, like Paul did, to have every opportunity to receive the renewing of the mind, the regeneration of the spirit, and the transformation of the heart. Lord, this thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you've come that we might have life and have it in all of its abundance. Lord, we choose you and not the thief. And Lord, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit. I don't believe you're ever absent, but in a more tangible way, a way that we can see, a way that, that we have courage, that we have the ability to, we have wisdom beyond our, our own ability and our own studying to, to know what you want in given situations. I ask that you send us to our neighbors, our coworkers, and that right here in 49464, that you turn everyone to you, that you show them, you reveal yourself to them, their love, your love for them so that they love you and love their fellow man. And then West Michigan, Ottawa County and West Michigan, then Michigan, then the Midwest, then the North America, then United States of America, and then North America, this, and then this whole, this whole hemisphere, and then the whole globe, Lord, that you turn us toward you. Show yourself to us so that we see how good you are, how much you love us, and how much better life is when we love you with everything we have and we love our neighbors, we love ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.